Welcome to the SQL Podcast, episode 53. Um, we have today a very, very special guest. It is Dr. John Martini. We're going to be talking about the secret method to, bec- um, to overcoming performance anxiety. So thank you very much for being here, John. Well, thank you for having me. And this has been a long time coming. I've been looking at your work for about five years. I started looking at your work um, when I was actually a tradie back in the day and I had headphones on and your voice was in my head. I didn't tell you that. So guys, if you're listening to this and this is your first time listening to this, thank you so much for being here and I really appreciate you being here, John, because the reason that I can get my message to the world and inspire these men in the bedroom and their life is because of you like saying, have an inspired mission do things in your life, live to your highest values. And my highest value, one of my highest values was sex. And I remember you just having that chat with me. So I'm very humbled and I thank you so much. And just to give you a little bit of background on John, um, we just finished a seven-day course of prophecy. This is my second time with John. And my God, this man is one of the most intelligent men and the modern-day Socrates in a lot of ways. And his work has transformed the lives of billions of people and um, 30,000 books, 300 ologies, and just happy birthday recently for the other day. Yes, I, I had the opportunity to fulfill a long-term birthday plan of surfing on the North Shore of Oahu uh, on my 65th. So I set that goal when I was 16. I saw Lord Blair surf there when he was 65, and I thought, when I'm 65, I'm going to come back and ride big waves. So I got to do that last Monday. Yeah, it was incredible. It's like 65 years old, still on the waves, and he's really making it happen. But as I said, for the guys out there, as you know, um, our philosophy, what we teach, being the best she's ever had inside and outside the bedroom and making men men again and leaving women better and wetter. And in regards to making men men again, Matt John's not just making men men again, he's making the world better. So it's absolutely a privilege. And what we want to go through today is, if you don't know a lot about John's backstory, go check that out. But we want to jump straight into the meat and bones about what we're talking about, about sexual and some performance anxiety and I want to stop talking because I want to hear John's perspective. So before we go any further, for the people who don't know you, John, do you want to give them a little bit more of a background about yourself and what got you inspired to travel and teach a vast um, amount of people? You want to hold that? Sure. I, um, hi, everyone. <laughs> I have been involved in educating and um, traveling for many years now, 47 years. And I had a very close brush, we might say, with almost dying when I was 17. And I was blessed as a part of a recovery process to meet an amazing teacher named Paul Bragg at the time. It was on the North Shore of Oahu. And I, um, one night, one hour, this man with one message really got to me and inspired me to make me believe that I could overcome my learning problems. I was a high school dropout had learning problems, speech problems, and I was told I would never be able to read or write, never be able to communicate, never mount a thing, never go very far in life when I was in first grade and ended up dropping out of school at at very young. And um, after hearing him, I I thought maybe I could overcome my my challenges. And I set out on a dream at that time because that vision I saw made me believe I could overcome my learning problems and someday be intelligent. And I very diligently, step by step, learned how to read, learn how to go back to school, and, and started to excel. And, and that led me to um, begin my teaching career. And I've been doing that, and I started out locally, and it now is globally. And I've been blessed to go to 153 countries to share now. And I um, 
can't wait to get up in the morning and do what I love doing, which is researching, writing, traveling, and teaching. And obviously, um, sexuality is part of that uh, mastery of human behavior. And anything to do with mastery of human behavior, I'm fascinated by and have done my best to try to research and learn how to maximize it. So that's what I do, and I do that every day. So that's what got me here. As I said, it's it's so humbling to be listening to John, like 47 years. He was the man who basically had prophecy last year, like, I was talking about sexuality and you're like, mate, it's a multi-trillion dollar industry. What are you doing? And then just set me on that trajectory and then hearing your story about how far you've come. And then now I was like having a joke with John as well going, John, now I travel, I travel, teach and fuck. And then you're like, it's like, it's, it's kind of like linked to what you're doing as well. And that's why I, and just like inspiring people. And then what I really learned from you as well, John, and I want to touch into the next point about values because it's a big part of your work about getting people to live to the highest values, about getting myself to live to my highest values and then getting others to live to their highest values. And then I know when I did that and having that mission and then when I've been on that mission, it's like I can't wait to get out of bed in the morning. So if you'd like to elaborate on that, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I think that every human being lives by a set of priorities set of values in their life, things that are most important to least important. And whenever they are taking actions and setting goals that align congruently with what they really, really, really intrinsically value most, that's where they excel. And so many times people compare themselves to others, put people on pedestals relative to them, minimize themselves relative to the people they put on pedestals, and inject expectations and values from others and attempt to live in their values instead of their own. And then they end up wondering why they can't stay focused and why they, uh, you know, don't have the drive and they feel that they're, you know, second rate and self-depreciate. And this has a lot to do with the sexual experiences. Many times we compare ourselves to people. If we infatuate with somebody and we put them on a pedestal and we minimize ourselves, uh, we're going to minimize our performance. So we have to make sure that we're, you know, I think nature is forcing us to find a mate that's an equal. And anytime we're in a, an infatuation mode and minimizing ourselves, we're actually not in our perceptions with an equal. And we'll self-depreciate. And our performance, our, as you know, the, the blood supply to the organs of reproduction are governed by our perceptions in our brain. Our brain is our, really our sexual organ. And so if we don't have a real balanced orientation with somebody, we can exaggerate ourselves and disrespect somebody or we can minimize ourselves and not perform. And it has a lot to do with the way we perceive ourselves relative to other people. Yeah, really, really good point. And in regards to, in regards to the performance anxiety, man, we'll jump straight into that because that was amazing. Like, because this, the, coming from a medical background yourself, a lot of men think they have to take pills like to um, like get it up or to keep it up or to last longer. And I know from your work with the breakthrough, it's like, I know someone I talked to the other day was talking about he did the method and um, I'll let you explain that about what you're doing with that. And it helped him reduce that anxiety in the bedroom and then he felt more confident. If you want to talk a bit about the breakthrough experience and the mind and how that's all linked with that. Well, anxiety is a form of phobia, it's a fear. And fear is an assumption that you're about to experience more pain and pleasure, more loss than gain, more negative than positive in the immediate future by something you've done or something somebody else has done. And in actuality, there isn't such a thing. 
we're, we're, we're just assuming there's going to be. And so many times our anxieties are not real, but they're, they're based in our mind. They're not real and nothing really happens out there except what's in our mind. And so when we put people on pedestals, we fear being rejected by them. And when we're not putting people on pedestals and we're not fearing rejection by them, we're not self-conscious. Lovemaking is about being present with the person you love. And if you're not present with them and you're focusing on yourself and not focusing on them, your blood supply doesn't go into the organs effectively. So you have to make sure you actually get present with them and think about them and not anxiety, not thinking about you when you're making love. Because when you're present with them, amazing what your organ will do. It will help you fulfill your innermost dominant thought, which is the caring of love and appreciation for them. Yeah, can you explain um, presence? Because after the seven days, like seven days of prophecy, like so much information went into the mind. And this starts to like, just give you guys perspective, like being with John for seven days from 7 a.m., no, 8 a.m. in the morning all the way till 10 to sometimes 11. John does not stop at all. And it's an experience that you have to go and check out because it's not just about sex. We're talking about sex because it's the SQL podcast. But when you're with John on this experience, it's like, it's all areas of life and he makes sure that it's not you're not just like focused on one being all-rounded because i love what you talk about the infatuation and i've definitely been there like having a woman i talked about being in a drug induced um fuck coma in like a joke because i was so infatuated with the woman and i thought that was love so if we want to touch actually if you could give your definition of love as well that'd be really fantastic there's a a lower subcortical area of the brain called the amygdala. It's called the desire center. And it was designed to avoid predators and seek prey. And whenever we are infatuated with somebody, we our brain registers them as prey. That's why we want to consume them and eat them. <laughs> and when they're registered as somebody we resent, they're represented as predator because we think they're going to eat us. And when that occurs, our, our body goes kind of into a skewed, subjectively biased perspective. And when we do, we become addicted or subdicted, seeking or avoiding, impulse, instinct. When we do, we if we infatuate with it, we'll minimize ourselves relative to it. If we resent it, we'll exaggerate ourselves relative to it. And we're not being ourselves. And that's not where love occurs. That's where the passions of the animal occur, but not where deep, intimate love occurs. Mm. When you're actually you understand the individual and know both sides of them. Because when you're infatuated, you're conscious of the upsides, you're unconscious of the downsides. And when you're resentful, you're conscious of the downsides, unconscious of the upsides. When you love somebody, you're conscious of both sides. And when you're conscious of both sides, you're not impulsively seeking or instinctually avoiding, you're just present with them. And when you're present with them, your organs will function. I don't know how to describe it, but the pharmaceutical industry can only approximate what the brain can do. And there's no way with our knowledge, because every day our knowledge is growing, so obviously our knowledge 10 years from now will be more advanced than it is today. So no pharmaceutical by itself can do what the brain can do if it's allowed to function properly. And the moment you're present and really truly there with the person and loving them, the brain does amazing things to balance out the neurochemistry to perform at its peak, because it's designed to. But the moment we infatuate with somebody, and we minimize ourselves, we focus on ourselves. Anytime we've infatuated with somebody, we, we, the, they occupy space and time in our mind. And anytime we resent somebody, they occupy space and time in our mind. But the moment we're actually present with them and love them, there's a blend of us and them. 
and there's an inseparability between them. There's a reflective awareness. And in that moment, that's when the brain neurochemistry does an amazing job at making sure the organs fulfill what their mission is. So there's nothing wrong. A lot of individuals think they need to take an external medication. And if they do, well, that's okay. But as you know, there's always a side effect from that. Mm. With, with every medication which activates transmitter receptors on cells, there's other cells in the body that have those same receptors. And so the very source of those helping of that thing with a drug actually causes side effects elsewhere. And sometimes it deals with a need for that. And, a, and a, you get into a vicious cycle because then you think, I got to have that and I can't perform in that. And then you have another anxiety and you've just gotten a vicious cycle. So drugs are not the first line of choice, you might say. Mastering your own pharmaceutical industry inside mm -hmm. is wiser in the long run. It's more cost effective, less side effects. And the truth is you deserve to master your life. You deserve to be you want to be loved and appreciated for who you are, but if you're putting them on a pedestal, you'll minimize yourself and you won't allow that in. And then your performance will, will show that. Incredible. So also with the presence, you said something really amazing um, the other day. Can you explain exactly what presence is? Well, when you're anxious and you're inferring, you're anticipating in the future more drawbacks and benefits. When you're fantasizing, fantasizing about the future, you're anticipating more positives and more advantages and disadvantages of the future. Nature has none, neither of those. There, there's, nature always has a balance. So if you're actually balanced and you're not into the fantasies of the future or the nightmares of the future and you're not into the guilts of the past or prides of the past, you're present. And when you're present, that's when you perform. I, I, when, when I'm standing on a stage and speaking to thousands of people, if I get really present, the entire room is, doesn't even move. And I, if I'm inspired, they can actually have tears in their eyes. If you're present... There's this synchronicity, there's this dance that occurs, there's this rhythmic motion in lovemaking that is indescribable. And it's almost like you look into each other's eyes and there's, there's an inseparability between it, which is true intimacy. Any, if you infatuate with somebody, you're too humble to admit what you see in them is inside you. When you resent somebody, you're too proud to admit it. Anything that you're too humble or too proud to admit what you see in them inside you when you're making love, is a block in intimacy. Intimacy is the ownership of what you see in them inside yourself. It's a perfect reflection. And that intimacy and performance will be going correlate. Yep. <laughs> That's, yeah, John, thank you for really giving that. And what was the thing you talked about with presence with um, the space and time? Because I, I forgot exactly what that was the other day, but it was a beautiful, um, eloquent said, thing you said the other day. Well, when we are in imagination, we're in the future. When we have memory, we're in the past. When we're actually in love, we're in the present. Present extracts out space and time from the mind. Mm. And aging occurs when we're not present. And when we're aging, we're, we're also entropy. We have entropy, breaking down. We're breaking down our physiology, and actually our brain doesn't perform in that mode because our amygdala is running in our, our executive center. When our, we're in our heart, and we're in our executive center, we have a balanced mind and we have an open heart. And even if you're just having a, a fuck buddy, if you will, and you're just having a good passionate moment, um, that's great, it's transient. But at the same time, when you actually make love with somebody, even if you're just meeting with somebody for making, you know, for sex, there's something powerful in that and there's something grand about that and there's something quite beautiful about that. And that is a mastery and a training that is worth doing. You will then, even if you're just making love for the sake of sex, 
you're still making it an experience that was something that will be deeply meaningful and appreciative. And they will be more likely to want to have sex with you again anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so it's to your advantage either way. No, definitely. Well, John, on that note, I'd, um, if you want to talk about this, I know you were um, a late, you were an early bloomer and then that you go, okay, I've done a lot of things in my early days. And then I think it's, um, it's great in the respect, like starting off early and you've done some things and then you've kind of moved on. Okay, I've, I've done my things. What, do you want to talk about the time when you were 13, I think you said, when you lost your virginity? Is that correct? Well, I think it was actually, I had a babysitter when I was nine years old. And I... Uh, she was uh, running and chasing me around the living room at my house. And then we ended up on the floor and we ended up for some reason having an intimate experience. And I ended up uh, having my sexual experience when I was nine. Uh, so <laughs> then, then when I turned 12, she had a sister and I thought, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe that 12 year old might be uh, similar to her older sister. And so I started um, having lovemaking when I was 12 with her. When I was, from 12 on, I was pretty active, I think, when I was uh, junior high, and then I left school, and I was a street kid, and then I moved eventually to California when I was 14, and I lived in Huntington Beach, California, which was sort of the surf and sex capital at the time, yeah. and, a lot, and I had, you know, I had the opportunity to experience big orgies and sexuality, sometimes two or three girls a day, I mean, so I, I had sort of a 1960s sexual experience in those days. Now that calmed down a bit when we got to the 70s, and then it increased a bit in the 80s, and then, then it went kind of more stable in the 90s. It fluctuated in different stages of my life. Um, it's been a little bit slower, and I've been with, I was with one woman for eight years, and almost nine years, and we were married, and, and then I was with another woman who passed away for about almost 14 years. And I've been dating now since. And uh, so my sex life have had many gyrations uh, during the years. But I definitely experienced the 60s, which was quite a wild period. Um, I was with an orgy when I was 13 with 57 people running around naked. So that, that, was, a, that was a wild experience. But, you know, I, I can say that, uh, you know, you can let it run your life or you can run your own life. But love is, lovemaking is actually is a part of life. And it's not wise to suppress it. I always tell people if they're a Christian that you need to moderate your, your sex 12 times a day to match each of the disciples. <laughs> <laughs> Jokingly. But, but you know, it, your performance is, is a mind game. And your endurance. I, I had a lovely lady when I was 24 who was older than I was by nine years. And she definitely was more experienced than even I in lovemaking. And she was the one that introduced me to the old Tantra approach, right? Yeah. And I was learning that, and there was a part of me that wanted to hurry up and have an impulse uh, thing. But she taught me to do it. And I learned you know, to go slow, and I learned to go fast. I've learned every imaginable thing. And then I was a yogi, and I dated a yogi girl, and we, we tried to use every yoga asana posture that we could to explore these things. Then I met a lady that was into Kama Sutra, in fact, when I was nine, I had a lady show me a Kama Sutra movie. thought that was interesting. A mother <laughs> with a friend. But, um, you know, it, sexuality is part of life. And many people get highly attached one way or the other on it. And they get highly emotional about it. And there's a lot of indoctrinization from religions. And as you know, as probably people are realizing now, some of the religious suppression that came with it um, behind the scenes is called pivotal... Um, pedophilia and things of this nature. So I always say that you're, it's wise to honor your sexuality. 
if you in any way are judging yourself by your performance, your size, your shape, or whatever, anything about you, there's a method that I developed called the Demartini method. I really believe that if it if a person was to do the method on themselves and appreciate them for who they are, and really honor who they are, their shape, their size, their performance, their every part of them, amazingly they can be present when they're lovemaking. Otherwise, they're going to have a dysmorphia. A dysmorphia is a comparison of themselves to other people. And anytime you exaggerate yourself to somebody or minimize yourself to somebody, your performance is going to go down, because the performance is a feedback to make sure that you're authentic. And when you're not being authentic and you're exaggerating and minimizing yourself, your performance is going to let you know that. I couldn't agree more. Like, it, it's insane how many guys, sometimes they try and come from the perspective of like, I'm trying to get one more for the belt. And I tell guys, if you're sometimes doing this because you're doing this for an external reason, so I'm doing this for the boys or I'm doing this for like, to look good about myself or feel better, what's going to happen? It's actually going to cause a lot of anxiety. It's exactly. Yeah, I... Um I had a friend that was uh, bragging one time about his sexual performance. And um, the moment you get cocky, metaphysically, uh, you attract hubris, humbling circumstances. And the moment he was bragging about it, he, was, he tackled a girl that was like a nymphomaniac. <laughs> and, and he was now the underdog. Yeah. And for the first time in his life, he got humiliated. And that was a perfect thing to happen to get him to get centered when he's making love. And that was a, a real great experience. I had that happen also when I was 14. I met a girl. I was on the beach in Huntington Beach, and I was going girl to girl panhandling quarters to try to get some money. And I was a, a hippie, long-haired surfer guy, you know. And um, this girl just ignored me as I walked by. She said, get out of here. And then when I came back by, but coming down the beach the other way, she said, come here. And she said, um, would you like wine? And I said, uh, sure. And she says, let's go get a bottle of wine. And she says, where are you staying? And I said, well, I, I'm not. I'm staying on the, in the in an alley. And I was a street kid at the time. And she goes, well, let's get a hotel. So there's a hotel there for 18 bucks a night. And so we go there, and we spent literally 24 hours. And she was this nymphomaniac. And there was no way I could outperform this one. This one, there was no way. I, I, I was extremely humbled by this. A great lesson. I think I wasn't able to make love with a girl for almost three days after that. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite amazing, but I, um, the second I was cocky, I got humbled, and that's the way it is. So we're not here to be, I mean, we're not here to be cocky. We're here to to actually be our ascent ourself. The magnificence of who you are is far greater than any personas that you're going to wear, trying to be somebody you're not. So give yourself permission to be yourself, and um, be willing to. Um, love parts of you that you may not have judged, you're judging. Anything that you're judging, find out how it serves you so you can be grateful for it. You'll perform much more presently. Yeah. I love that. In in regards to that, I always say you get cocky, you get caught. And it's happened so, so many times because guys are trying to have that perception. I have to do something, I have to be something. As you say, it's like you gotta, what is it? You gotta, you order. Yeah, anytime you feel like I gotta perform, yeah. you're not being yourself. Because yeah. when, you're, when you're actually there and you go, if you ask yourself when you're, you see a beautiful woman, or, or if, you're, if it's a woman hearing a man with a man, if you stop and ask yourself, what is really most important in my life at this moment, and how is this experience giving me the opportunity to fulfill it? Mm. The more meaning you extract out of the experience, the more present you'll be. 
if you're doing it because you're trying to prove something, you're not really getting meaning out of it. You're doing it to try to as an external uh, motive. But once it's actually linked to what you value, and you're really present, and you become present with them, and and honor them as much as yourself, really do that. The performance to do it because people can tell when you're present. You know, if you if 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 a guy's getting a massage, and the woman's thinking about something else, you can tell when they're thinking about something else, and you can tell when they're present. And the same thing in lovemaking. If you're not present, they can they can feel it. And then, then the performance is not going to be to your but greatest, and they're not going to feel fulfilled. And their feedback on how they feel your presence gives you feedback for your performance. Because when, when you're really there, and they're really turned on by that, your performance is enhanced. Because they feel that you're there for them. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. Well, yeah, the presence, as I said, we always say presence, not performance, because too, too many guys are going, I'm trying to make things happen. And well, yeah, what I'd love you to touch on is, can you break down love? Um, you've already talked about it a little bit, because I know you've got a beautiful definition of what love is and what love isn't. That'd be amazing to hear. Well, when you're infatuated with somebody, as I said, you, you're aware of the things, you're conscious of the things that you look up to, and you're unconscious of the downsides. You're seeing more advantage and disadvantage. When you're resentful, you're seeing more disadvantage and advantage. Mm -hmm. When you see a perfect balance of what I call similars and differences or advantages and disadvantages, your mind is balanced. And when your mind is balanced, your heart opens. Mm -hmm. And you're, when your heart opens, you feel love. And you feel grateful. And your mind becomes inspired. And your body becomes enthused. And in that state, your performance can go for a long period of time without noticing your, your energy is infinite once you recognize that state. Mm. And so love, I call, is the synthesis. If you imagine infatuation thesis and resentment antithesis, it's the synthesis of those two. And it's the synchronicity of those two. And once you have this synthesis and synchronicity of these two opposites, you have love. So when you're infatuated, you're, you want to hug them. When you're resentful, you want to slug them. When you love somebody, you bring those into balance. And in that state... When the heart opens, amazing. Your, your, your blood supply is now able to express itself appropriately. But if you're thinking about yourself and not thinking about them, or thinking about them and not thinking about you, and you're skewing that, your maximum performance is, is declined. Thanks. What I love about John as well, like, it's not rah-rah, it's not bullshit, it's straight down the point. And that's why I've always been drawn to John since day one. Like, even at the events, just, you know, at the breakthrough and even at Prophecy and all the other events, not that I've been to those yet, but I'm going to be coming to Master Planning of Life. I can't wait for that. But with saying all this, what I really love, it's like, there's no, like, it's just straight down the line. And sometimes it's kind of like that tough love that John has, but it comes from such a place of service. And that's what I've seen. And then talking about sexuality, it's like that service, I'm here to serve the woman. And it all ties into that. And I see, I get so inspired by how much you're here to um, serve the world and serve people. If you want to talk a little bit more about the service that you're doing for humanity opposed to just the lovemaking, which is awesome. And not to mention, when you're talking about the orgies as well and when you're like in the 60s, like you're talking about that as well, that prophecy. And it was incredible to hear you talk about that so openly and what you've done because like if you talk about that now, like depression, like, oh, you can't do this. And then I've like, I told you a little bit of my experience and what's happened and back then it was like it was normal for you as i said two three girls a day you'd have all these experiences now if we talk about that the repression is um massive but actually if we could talk about 
Actually, I was going to jump to one question, but we'll do into this. What do you think is the biggest challenges like that men face in sexual relationships, apart from what you've already said? Well, a woman, when she's looking for a man, mm-hmm. she's looking for somebody that's fit and attractive. She's looking for somebody who's intelligent. She's looking for somebody who's ambitious. She's looking for somebody that has resources. She's looking for somebody who is present and really truly feels they want to be with them, the girl. She's looking for somebody that can get along socially with the people that she cares about and is socially suave, suave. They're looking for somebody who's inspired by something. Those are things that a woman is naturally drawn to. And each of those are aphrodisiacs to the woman. So a man can focus on his looks, but if he's not bright, that can turn off the woman. And he can overcompensate because he doesn't, he's not got the intelligence or he's not got the ambition or whatever, and then she, he can try to compensate for that. Mm. And the woman can sense that because the woman is designed to pick out those things that give it maximum potential for procreation and, and for you know a mating. So any area of your life that you don't empower other people will overpower. And then when you do, you'll minimize yourself and then your performance is down. So really, the mastery of sexuality is also the mastery of life. And the mastery of life is basically empowering as many areas as you can. So if you go out and you actually go and build wealth, you go and build a business, you go and build your mind, you go and build these areas, you're actually spilling over into your performance and sex. So your, your whole, your sex life will be responding to your overall certainty in life and empowerment in life. Because when you're actually certain, you don't have to put on any facades. You don't have to, there's no game you have to play. And I think that women can sense that and they're drawn to that and they respect that and they're patient and they are humble to that and allows the man to be who he is. That's, that's, that's what you want. And if you're not, the part you're trying to put a facade on they're designed to bring that down. So if you, if you, if you walk into a, a room and act greater than you really are and kind of cocky or whatever, you're going to get critical. People are going to get critical to you. Anytime you exaggerate yourself, you're designed to get humbling reactions from people, criticizing from people to get you back in authenticity. And the second you minimize, they lift you up. The second you're authentic, you get love back. You give love out, you get love back. So the mastery of your life is really the mastery of the foundation for having a great sex experience too. And I think that people are drawn to that. Women are just drawn to somebody who's authentic. They're, they're, they're biologically drawn to that because that way they feel the most secure. And that word gets thrown around a lot about like be authentic in regards to like open up and I completely concur. What is your best way for men to really start getting into their authenticity? Well, when they live, because every human being has a set of priorities and set of values they live their life by, whenever they're living by priority, their confidence is the strongest. Their self-worth is the strongest. Their vision of themselves is the strongest. They're more like to empower these seven areas more effectively. They feel like a leader. They don't have to put on a facade. They feel it. They feel they walk their talk. And there's a poised present and a powerful purpose mm-hmm. and a prioritized you know, yeah. you know, productivity that occurs in an individual there. And when they occur, women are drawn to that. And then when they're drawn to that, they're not... There's no need to perform. There's just need to be there. And I think that's the, the distinction. So giving yourself permission to prioritize your daily life and live by the highest priorities. Anytime you fill your day with the highest priority actions that inspire you, 
your day doesn't fill up with low priority distractions that don't. And when you get distracted, you're down in your amygdala, not your executive function. And down there is where you have the volatilities in, in the poor performance. So it's wise to, to prioritize your, your life every day. When you do, you're most likely to get somebody, because when you're being authentic, you're more likely to get an individual that matches you. So people are trying to go to a club or someplace, they're trying to put on a facade, and then they with another person who's going to the club trying to put on a facade, and they're both sitting there with trepidation about what they are gonna be and if the other person's gonna find out who they really are. If you're being who you really are, you track the person that matches that. And that's where your performance is going to be the greatest and their performance can be great. So you're going to get the feedback by being authentic with the greatest sexual experience. Awesome. Last question that um, I've got, unless something else comes up, is the law of one to many, which you talk about a lot. And John talks a lot about the universal principles. And as I said, this is not just one-sided in the respect of like we're talking about sex. John covers like the seven areas of life on the prophecy program, which is amazing, which is like, as I said, and I've really seen this in my own life when I was only empowered in a few areas of my life. Like, as I said, with the sexuality, looking into that and the dating for 10 years, I was so disempowered in business and money but then you really like flip that um into perspective of like being empowered and i've really seen this just to say thank you about the women the people and the opportunities that i'm attracting is far different as i said going from broke and having nothing to now traveling the world teaching and speaking i definitely credit a big part of that to you john for like the messages of having that inspired vision and empowering all the areas of my life and it's and i as i said i said from the bottom of my heart it's really amazing to be in this position where now i can do this and as i said inspire people and i know it's a massive value if it's like speaking to the people so thank you again but in regards to that can you explain a few of the um universal laws but in particular the laws to one to many in regards to dating <laughs> most likely everybody who is listening has had some subtle experience or blatant experience in their life about it when you're dating many, you're looking for that special one. And then once you find that one, you're curious and wondering about the many. And then if you break up with the one, you date the many, you'll be looking for that one. And then when you find the one, you'll be wondering about the many. And this, the fantasy that has been promulgated by religious ideologies and social ideologies is that you know you have this one and here's the rules. But nature, biologically is not following that. Those are just artificial rules. Nature basically keeps the one to many active to make sure that you keep the individual in your foresight. So in other words, if you take them for granted, you can erode the relationship. So you have to keep it on the edge. So the relationship stays on the edge by making sure that there's a one in a many dynamic. I tell people that when you're with the one, uh, yes, you are gonna be f interested on the many, but it may be wise to have many friends associated with you if you're planning on having one close intimate relationship and the things that that individual may not provide you in your mind you may have friends providing you nothing's ever missing but it's either oscillating between one or into one or many people when people are looking for their soulmate um, they think well I'm gonna find this one person that's gonna give me everything but the reality is the soulmate is gonna give you support and challenge and it's gonna play out every possible role and if you think that you're gonna get it in one and not have friends provide other aspects of your life, you'll probably be frustrated and putting false expectation on the one individual and then they'll feel pressured and then you'll create an animosity. 
But if you allow the one individual to be themselves and let them express their uniqueness and have friends around you or other people filling in some of those gaps, it allows that relationship to not have to be performing and allows it to be the way they love. And it makes it easier. So I always say that uh, when you're with the one, um, allow yourself to have friendships and communications and interactions with the many so you can appreciate the one. What I took away really from the relationship day on prophecy was like, for my interpretation, it was more like if you really love someone, let them be free and let them have that full expression of who they are and not try to devalue their values. Yeah, I, I had a funny thing. I wrote about it in my book uh, on the heart of love. And um, my wife was from Australia and her name was Athena Star Woman. Some people may still remember her. She passed away 15 years ago. But she was in Portofino on the ship called The World, which is a luxury condominium ship yacht that we live on. And she pulled into Portofino into the, into the port, <clears throat> took a little tender into the cobblestone streets and was shopping. And I was in Australia at the time, opposite side of the world. And all of a sudden I get a text, you know, a message on my computer that says, that, oh my God, I still have it. I still have it. Now, she was 59 at the time, and uh, she was beautiful. I thought she was one of the most beautiful women in the world. But this man walked in that was the most handsome man she's ever seen in her life, walks in, and goes up to her, and he goes, my God, he's Italian, my God, my God, you're so beautiful. You're the most beautiful woman I've ever laid eyes on. My God, tell me, please, that you're not married. I, <laughs> I, I must need to, I, I have to know you. I know, can I take you to lunch, or dinner? And he was just enamored with her. And because he was so handsome and he was so well positioned, you know, and he'd just come in off the Sultan of Brunei ship next to our ship, she was a bit uh, flustered by it. Yeah. And so she contacts me afterwards and she says, I still have it. The most handsome man in the world that I've ever met just said I was the most beautiful woman. And I said, well, you are the most beautiful woman in my eyes, so I can understand he's got good taste. <laughs> and I said, well, did you get his contact details? She says, no, I was a little flustered and I was afraid. I said, afraid of what? I said, well, I was afraid that I might be vulnerable. And I said, look, I could die tomorrow in a plane. Life's an adventure, you know? And, and, and she says, well, what do you think I should do? I said, well, go find out who he is. Who is he? Where is he? Find out about this guy. If he's just playing a game with you, find that out. If he's serious, you know, he might be even more, more of a value than I am in the game. And she says, oh, I love you. I love your attitude. Thank you so much. So she went searching but never found him. And, and, uh, and, and somebody would ask, why would you do that? Why would you have your wife check somebody else out and I explained to him that if I don't do that and she has a fantasy about this man I can never compete with a fantasy and many times people are comparing their current relationship to a fantasy of the past and they're not able to be present because they're comparing it and you're not loving the person you're comparing them to a fantasy and there's no person can feel compete with a fantasy so I told her to do that to make sure she didn't have a fantasy because otherwise I will be always compared to what it could have been. Now, she didn't find him, so I had to break her fantasy afterwards yeah. by asking what would be the downsides of the guy, right? Mm. But at the same time, I wanted to do that because if I give her the freedom, her heart will make that decision. It, it won't be just an impulse from a fantasy. Now, it turned out that she appreciated me more when she realized that there was a bit of a fantasy there, mm. and I win. Because okay. you can't lose being yourself, and you gotta give people the freedom because if they have to hide themselves, being themselves around you, then that works against you in your relationship in the long run. 
got to give people the freedom to be who they are. They want to be loved and appreciated for who they are, and they want to have that freedom in the law of the one and many. And that doesn't mean that they're going to go out and have flings and things like that. But if they do, just know that anybody that has a fling on you, that somehow people want to fulfill their lives. And if you're not willing to fulfill their lives, anything you're not willing to do with your mate, you got to be willing to delegate. Whoa. Woo! I don't know where to go from there, but that was amazing. Thank you, John. We're about to wrap up, but we're getting to um, time now. But is there any last things that you want to say before we um, get to an understanding of how people can reach you and the best way to yeah um, come to your events and stuff like that? Well, my my advice would be to actually, again, think about what is most most important to you in your life, what's most meaningful, what's most inspiring that you spontaneously want to work on the vision that you want to do and whatever relationship you have, whether it's a short term, one night or one minute, in my case, two seconds, nine to 901. Yeah. Nine to 901. <laughs> uh, no matter how the length of the relationship is, don't judge it relative to a fantasy, honor it as it is because you're never a failure or, or a success. You're just a human being. And, um, ask yourself how specifically is this individual and this experience helping me fulfill my mission and what's most meaningful to me. Because extracting meaning out of every experience gives you meaning in life. Because there's no mistakes, there's no screw ups, there's just experiences and adventures in life. And when you do that, your, your, your performance is not gonna be your concern. But your life will then accumulate great experiences that you can be thankful for in your life. And anything you can't say thank you for is baggage. Anything you can say thank you for is fuel. So you wanna have the relationships, whether they're minutes or hours or days or weeks or years, makes no difference. You wanna make sure that they've turned into your mind as something you can be grateful for and love. Otherwise, they'd be store as subconscious baggage and they affect the performance of the future. Well, thank you so much, John, for having a chat today. It's been real and I thank you just as I said, for all the um, inspiration that you've given to the world and myself and just, yeah, an incredible um, chat today. I really appreciate it. Now, if people do want to get in contact with you, what would be the best way to um, see you? Well, the easiest way to get a hold of me is just go to my website, drdemartini.com, D-R-D-E-M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com. On there is a vast amount of educational information, and it, it lets people know where my events are, and it has all the radio, television, newspaper, magazines, medias, and things we do around the world live presentations, webinars, podcasts, everything. But they could go in there and they could continue to educate themselves probably the rest of their life and not run out of information on there, as you know. So it's an education website, but drdmartini.com. And that lets people know where I'm at and what's going on and what I'm doing around the world. And um, just know that you want to give yourself permission to do something extraordinary in life. The true you is extraordinary. The facades you put on weaken that extraordinary capacity. So don't try to be somebody you're not. Just give yourself permission to be who you are. That is more than enough to do something amazing. Whew. Thank you so much. And thank you for the insights today, John. It's been an absolute pleasure. And we'll be wrapping it up now. And just um, remember, guys, as I said, if you want to go check out John's stuff, go on the website, Dr. Um, John D. Martini. You can't miss it. Put it on Google. It's all there. And he has a ton of content that's out there for free as well. As I said, go to the Breakthrough Experience. I highly recommend it. He's going. Um, all, he's always around the world. How many breakthroughs do you do a year on average? Um, I think the lowest year we've done is 37 and the most we've done is 45. So it's around 42, 43 a year usually. 
So, as I said, go check that out. And I said, thank you very much, John, for being here. It's been an absolute pleasure. And as I said, thank you for everyone for listening. And if you love this podcast, definitely share it with your friends and all that. Remember, we are here to leave women better and wetter. We're also here to make men men again and be the best she's ever had inside and outside the bedroom. And if you want to be the best that she's ever had outside the bedroom, I really highly recommend John's work in regards to breakthrough and all the other stuff he's done. I'm saying this from personal experience of inspiring my life and not to mention some of the biggest leaders in the world. He's inspired their lives to um, grow and fulfill their mission and their dreams. And it's not just some transient thing of success. It's being on a mission that makes you actually feel truly fulfilled. So with that being said, this is the SQL podcast. And thank you very much again, John. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Thank you.